It's the Smart Driving Cars podcast. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi, Alan. Uh, Good morning, Fred. Good morning, everybody. Well, in the race between Uber and Lyft to go public, Lyft has become the first to file. And in the filing, we learned more about the ride-hailing company, quite a bit more, which recorded $2.2 billion in revenue last year while posting losses of more than $900 million. Absolutely. Uh, one of the nice things about the registrations to go public and, uh, and lawsuits and, uh, and um, challenges to, in divorces is all of a sudden you learn a whole bunch of things <clears throat> uh, in the forms that have to be filed uh, for these various activities. And of course, the Form S1 the registration statement for Lyft, one does learn a lot. And of course, uh, there's a lot that is hidden too. Uh, But it is very interesting to go through. Um, The number that I picked out of it, which I found one of the interesting numbers in there, is that 44% of the rides start or end in low-income areas. And uh, my goodness, um, that is doing an awfully good thing. And there are a lot of public agencies in Washington, Department of Transportation, et cetera, should pay attention to that one. My goodness, uh, you know, one can, can uh, in a sense, look at Lyft as, uh, as uh, um, a, a, um, a knight in white armor riding in and, um, and offering a mobility to people who have been put at the outskirts of mobility and, and, and left behind. Uh, where if there's bus service, it's not good bus service. And in a sense, uh, out there providing uh, much needed mobility to improve the quality of life of of people that live there. At least uh, that's the spin uh, that I take on that number. And and I found it very interesting. And you you also point out uh, in in the newsletter, just imagine what that number could be if the rides were cheaper and you didn't have to deal with driver apprehensions, meaning, of course, uh, autonomous vehicles, driverless vehicles. Right. And I don't want to suggest that anybody doesn't want to go into a poor neighborhood and offer rides. That's not what I'm suggesting. But if if I'm a driver, maybe I should be, um, uh, you know, I I might prefer being in the places where I might have an expectation of getting a bigger tip um, uh, and so on. And so therefore, uh, maybe, you know, because of my own biases, I might prefer to accept rides that that start because I know where they're going to start. I I don't know where they're going to go, but I at least know where they're going to start. Uh, In places where, um, um, you know, uh, where where we live, Fred, or something. Um, um, and, and, and what's, uh, so therefore, um, with, uh, with an algorithm, uh, identifying and, 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 uh, assigning the, the, the vehicles, then in, in a sense, the level of service that's offered just as many vehicles would be available for service in low income areas as high income areas. The, the, the tip piece of the, of the darn thing, um, probably won't be there unless, uh, Unless Waymo, as the uh, as the operator, is looking for tips from riders, I, I don't know. Maybe I just never thought of that before. Just now, 
Uh, but uh, but also uh, the real advantage of the uh, of a driverless vehicle of an autonomous taxi service is that the cost of the ride uh, can go down. I mean, the, the the bad news about Lyft going public is that Lyft is going to have to make a profit. I mean, you know, this is a capitalistic system, and they're having to make a profit is going to probably force them almost on probability close to one that they're going to have to increase their their rates Uh, why because if you the other thing that you find in the registration which everybody knew already is that they're losing an awful lot of money Uh, their objective to this point was to get as many drivers out there and to provide as many rides out there as they possibly could and though, and and in doing that, uh, one has to assume that uh, that they they have a lot of bargains out there, and so it is uh, pretty inexpensive. But it could be made even more inexpensive. If uh, that's a double negative or whatever, I'm like, <laughs> could be made uh, less expensive by um, uh, by going out there and um, and not having to pay a driver. And then all of a sudden, uh, my goodness, uh, that mobility is cheaper uh, by a substantial amount. And if we can actually achieve um, a ride sharing, um, then in fact, uh, to the individual uh, rider, the cost even goes down more. And and just think of the mobility that could be offered uh, in the low income areas. And it's the low income areas where where there's the, the most... Uh, a societal benefit of, uh, of this. Um, you know, uh, you provide this kind of mobility, it is really an, um, improves my mobility by very little. You know, I could have taken my own car. So, I, okay, I've improved my quality of life, epsilon. However, in the, in the low-income areas, uh, my goodness, this provides you uh, accessibility to jobs, to to some enjoyment, um, the the improvement in the quality of life is is substantially greater, and and of course uh, the implication is since um, everything is really focused on improving quality of life, uh, the societal value of this service is uh, is is greatest. Uh, so um, anyway, uh, to focus on just one little number that's in there, there are a lot of numbers. Uh, in there, and um, and basically, uh, uh, if you have 8.1 billion in book bookings and 2.2 billion in revenue, I'll take the difference of that. The, the six billion dollars have gone to um, the drivers and and the, the operators of this. Um, uh, it's great that uh, that they've earned that income. Uh, but still, even with the number of rides they provide, they're they're in the less than one percent of the trips, and um, and even less than one percent of the trips, I would believe, in the low income areas too. And, and so there's a lot of market, a lot of mobility opportunity, and and the the real way to scale and and provide value uh, and mobility uh, to that uh, to that increased scale is by um, automation and by driverless technology. We should point out, too, that the the investors in Lyft before the IPO include a GM, nearly an 8% stake, and, and Alphabet, a.k.a. Google, at more than 6%. 
Yes. And so, uh, yes, I, uh, you know, uh, let's hope the IPO goes well and let's hope the, that, in fact, um, um, the value of the property goes up. But um, the only way that this, this thing is going to make a, a profit is by increasing um, the fare or the cost of the rides or uh, evolving to uh, a driverless technology. Um, those are the only two options. Tesla made some headlines this past week, uh, besides the success of the SpaceX rocket. Elon Musk announced a $35,000 version of the Model 3 is finally available. That was the goal with the Model 3 to begin with. But he is closing stores and moving to online sales only. Yes, and and um, uh, he's uh, trying to change the fundamental business model of uh, selling cars to individuals. Uh, uh, the model has been uh, for you know hundred years or so, I guess. I don't know when the first dealership was, but uh, but that there would be a friendly car dealer where you can go see the, the cars, and that friendly car dealer would um, then uh, sell it to you and establish lifelong relationships. And every year you'd go in and buy a new one. And I'm sure we'll talk about uh, Michael Senna's uh, dispatcher a little bit. He, li- sure. he likes to talk about um, General Motors in the, in the uh, 50s. Everybody knew uh, the, the, the model lineup, and, and it was a pecking order of where you stood in the, uh, in the um, uh, social or, or economic hierarchy, uh, starting with, with a, a Chevrolet and then, of course, ending up uh, when you finally owned the bank uh, having a Cadillac. <laughs> Well, this was all brought to you by your local dealer. And, um, and of course, uh, one of the fundamental elements of, of Tesla has been to basically uh, break that, uh, say, um, uh, we're going to go do it um, over the Internet and, um, and do it centrally and, and, and disrupt that whole business model. Um, and in some sense, he almost has to because, because one of the things with the dealerships, the dealerships, uh, not only sold you the cars, but they've ended up maintaining them. And um, I don't know if you go through the balance sheets of dealerships, um, you might you might discover that they make more out of uh, maintaining the vehicles than they do out of selling them in the first place. In other words, uh, you know, it's almost like um, a Gillette. Uh, you know, you're you're going to give away the the handle and sell the blades, or at least that was the. Gillette business model at one point. And, um, and so here you'd give away the car in some sense when you bought it new, but uh, given the, the reliability of those vehicles, you had to change the plugs, change the oil, blah, blah, blah. This thing went bad. You made more money in, in, the, in the repair business. Um, with the electric car, uh, Musk has a problem because uh, it doesn't really need that much maintenance. And um, there are no spark plugs to change and oil to change. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, part of the big business model associated with a dealership is now and now evaporates. So it's not at all surprising that uh, that he's closing the showrooms, which were really marketing entities uh, for new car sales. And uh, maybe um, he's, you know, taken fully the Amazon approach. Look, uh, uh, you're you're going to get motivated and and targeted uh, 
using Cambridge Analytica techniques uh, to then bring up uh, uh, a Tesla every time you go anywhere on, on your screen that's in your face and you'll go buy one. So instead of uh, being able to take a test drive at a dealership, uh, they're going to rely, I suppose, a lot on word of mouth, maybe a, a friend, a relative, a colleague at work having a Tesla and you getting a look at it there, maybe riding in one and then wanting one. I suppose that's I, I what they're going to so. do. I, I think so. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I ever bought a car because I took a test test drive or was that where it was sold to me? I'm, I'm not sure. I, that, that, that's a, that's a good point. I mean, the, the personal contact, you know, the car salesman, I mean, they're, they're, they're the best salesmen in the world. I, uh, you know, because uh, they, they get close to you and you buy one, you know, um, and he won't have that opportunity. Um, uh, so, you know, that's a fundamental element. But I guess Amazon has recognized that, um, you know, having uh, some of those those personal people out there selling you stuff, um, geez, uh, uh, they figured out better ways to do it by just uh, showing it to you on the screen. So uh, maybe uh, – Maybe we're beyond that that mode of selling, and of course, uh, when your friend has one, I know, you know the only Teslas I've ridden in are, are Teslas that friends of mine have had. And guess what? I want one because they're so excited about one about, about them. Well, Tesla also announced it will start charging seven thousand dollars to add full self-driving features post delivery. Well, to me, the, the important part of that announcement is that I think that this is the first time that uh, you can really have an aftermarket edition of these features. Now, you know, maybe in the fine print here, it says that, in fact, you had to buy one that had all the all the um, uh, all the gizmos and, and the sensors on board. And all we're doing is flip, flipping the switch on the on the software. Uh, but it, it seems to be more than that. It seems it seems uh, that that they, they can make the thing uh, retrofitable. Uh, in other words, aftermarket. Aftermarket is really important, okay? Because of course it allows you to perpetuate or or, or to to penetrate. I think is the right word to penetrate uh, an existing market that is out there with vehicles that are already purchased, as opposed to the entry point being a new vehicle. So this allows for a much more rapid penetration of the technology uh, because it has access to that. Um, uh, you know, if, if it was available in other vehicles, think of a, a used car dealer. Uh, a used car dealer could retrofit models to have have the safety features associated with with autopilot as well as the comfort and and convenience features and and substantially uh, my word substantially improve the the value of the vehicle and i've argued that certainly as soon as as the cost of that retrofit technology um, was less than um, uh, the value that um, that they could increase the value of the car, then, of course, everybody would do it. And if insurance would step in and say, oh, my goodness, we've taken this car that is 
basically unsafe and we've converted it into a safe car, we've taken the expected liability of this car from X to an expected uh, expected liability of Y and that difference between X and Y uh, is greater uh, than the cost of the technology, then in fact the insurance company would be would be putting that that technology in these vehicles in these used vehicles and and not only increasing their value but but allowing them the insurance companies to make more money when those are sold or uh, providing um, uh, even cheaper insurance um, or a combination to, to the purchaser so it makes the vehicle enormously more more attractive. And, and, and uh, so uh, I'm just suggesting that this may be the first time that the aftermarket opportunity uh, for this technology may actually be available, at least on one kind of vehicle. Really interesting, uh, sort of like a subsidy. But at the same time, uh, Alan, uh, an accident in Delray, Florida on Friday. A crash. Right. Do not accidents. Okay, a crash right. in Delray, Florida on Friday is under investigation. A Model 3 owner died when his vehicle went under a tractor trailer. We don't know if autopilot was engaged as of yet. But it sounds eerily similar to a Tesla cra- uh, crash in Florida almost three years ago. Well, you know, uh, deja vu all over again. <laughs> Uh, as uh, we discussed uh, and we wrote uh, about the Joshua Brown crash, it's not about autopilot. It's about the emergency braking system. And and apparently it hasn't been fixed. And it's, you know, you just, you just want to grab somebody and shake them. Um, why hasn't it been fixed? Um, the fundamental problem is, is that uh, automated emergency braking systems, uh, I guess, don't work if the object that it is sensing ahead is stationary. And guess what? Most of the objects as you're traveling down the road happen to be that you see are stationary. There are trees, there are fence poles, there are they're, they're, there are uh, traffic lights, there are overhead past uh, um, uh, roadways, there are trees, there are, you know, whatever. Most of the things that these sensors sense are stationary. And most of them aren't in the roadway ahead. So therefore, you know, you just want to forget about them. You, they're, not, they're not important, except for the ones that happen to be in the roadway ahead. But the precision of these things is not perfect. So every once in a while, it thinks that, some, it thinks that something that, that is to the side of the road is in the roadway ahead. And this is rare. And, the, and, and more importantly, apparently, they're not able to determine these systems if something that is in the roadway ahead, you can readily pass under. And as you drive down the road, you pass under an enormous number of things that are in the roadway ahead that are stationary. There are traffic lights, there are signs, there are tree canopies, there are um, overhead roadways. It happens every, I don't know, 
certainly, uh, you know, probably every minute that you drive, if not more often. So with these, um, these objects that you can pass under, when you're driving down the road, you know you can see that you can pass under it. The problem is that apparently these sensors don't do that with high enough reliability, determine whether or not you can pass under them. And because they, they aren't reliable, those objects are disregarded. And in the disregarding of those objects, why? Because if one in a hundred, it comes back and says, oh, no, you can't pass under this one, and the brakes start being applied, and all of a sudden I look up and I say, what's going on? Why are the brakes being applied? I'm just going to say, oh, my goodness, something's wrong here. I, I have to take this back to the dealer. And, and if it happens to me again, oh, my goodness, uh, this is a lemon. I want my money back. And so because the reliability of the being able to determine whether or not you can pass under objects that are in your lane ahead that are stationary, because the um, that unreliability, um, I'm just going to disregard them. Because most of the time, essentially all the time, I can pass under it. And if I can't, I'm going to rely on the driver to determine that. And my goodness, that's where the problem is. And so what it needs to do is, uh, what we need to do is substantially improve the ability to determine if an object is stationary ahead, can the vehicle pass under it? And be able to have the 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 unreliability of that be you know one in a thousand, one in ten thousand. I don't know, you know, all the all the statistical engineers and so on, and safety engineers will come up with a number. It'll never be zero, of course, but it has to be really rare, so that I am not, you know, uh, going to go take the car back to the dealer and, and ask for my money back. And, of course, uh, that I don't apply the brakes and come to a screeching halt and all of a sudden get rear-ended. Well, you know, if there's a possibility of being rear-ended, I should also have be looking backwards. Is, is there anybody behind me? And then make the decision on that. But I think that's the fundamental problem. It has nothing to do with autopilot. Autopilot, what's it do? It just tries to keep you in the center of the lane and tries to make sure that if you're following a vehicle, you don't you don't crash into it. But the fundamental difference of following a vehicle or or, or catching up to a vehicle is that your approach velocity is is substantially different than your current velocity. With a stationary object, that's not the case. Your approach velocity is that. Uh, about equal to your approach velocity. That makes it so that, oh my goodness, that's a stationary object. Oh my goodness, it's in the road ahead. Oh, all these things on the road ahead, I can easily pass under it, disregard it. Most of the time it is in a, 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 an overhead roadway or a tree or, or, a, or a sign that you can pass under it. But now two times it's been, oh no, Whoops, guillotine. I guess progress can't come soon enough. Let's keep our. Yeah, this is a detail. And of course, I think most of the discussion in, in the National Transportation Safety Board didn't go down the right road on this thing. The, 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 um, uh, the uh, 
NHTSA didn't, didn't go down the right thing. Everybody's looking at, at autopilot. Uh, it's not autopilot. It's the automated emergency braking system. Well, you mentioned before, Alan, uh, Michael Senna, his latest edition of the Dispatcher has a lot to digest. Uh, looking at automakers, as you were talking about, and and which ones might survive over the coming decade. And there's also a great write-up about Luxembourg and its uh, plans for free mass transit beginning in March of next year. Yes, I, I thought it very interesting. Uh, of course, uh, Michael and I don't quite ag- agree on the vision of. Uh, uh, for uh, autonomous taxis and so on. Um, um, he's m- much more conservative and I love him for it. Uh, but I think that the Luxembourg is a really nice, interesting example. My goodness, it's this, uh, this little geographic area. Uh, you could readily have uh, autonomous vehicles serving all of the, or autonomous taxis serving all of, uh, of Luxembourg and, um, and really making it into a, a most delightful place. Uh, so anyway, um, I, I highly recommend um, you uh, all reading uh, uh, the dispatcher this month. As usual, it is, um, it is very entertaining. Bloomberg Business Week has an interesting piece uh, headline, and it sort of relates to the thing, some of the things that uh, Michael Senna was writing about automakers. The headline in this uh, uh, Business Week piece is, this is what peak car looks like. For many people, new forms of mobility are making privately owned vehicles obsolete. Yeah, and and um, uh, to me, I think if, if people really look at, um, at um, uh, what it costs them and, um, and the amount that they are... Um, uh, spending of their own time uh, to basically deal with a, a car. And I always use the elevator analogy. Um, if you compare a car to an elevator, um, I don't think I would want to drive a car up and down a shaft uh, to go from the ground floor to the 18th floor or something like that and maintain that car in my apartment up there or something like that, as goofy as that might seem. Um, uh, in, the, in sort of the similar fashion, if I had the, the service cap- uh, characteristics of the elevator horizontally, um, I guess I'd own a car only so I could say, hey, Fred, I have a nicer car than you. Therefore, I'm better than you. And to do the social strata thing and have nothing about getting around. Interesting. The New York Times this past week hosted a, a new work summit, bringing some top people together to discuss how to make artificial intelligence trustworthy. And the top recommendations focused on uh, making Certain companies, making certain that companies are transparent about the design, intention, and use of their AI technology and the disclosure of what data is being collected and how it's being used. I guess that those two things being on top aren't big surprises. They're, they're not big surprises. And the transparency uh, not only of, of uh, what goes in and how the, the, the AI has been built is extremely important. Transparency of what the AI is supposedly uh, being uh, so intelligent about 
also needs to be uh, needs to be much more transparent. I mean, if mo- most of the time, if uh, if you go to a person and you ask him or her for uh, for uh, an answer to something, and um, and you're trying to have an intelligent conversation. Uh, you don't only just want the answer. You, you want to be able to probe. You want to be able to understand. You want to be able to to have some idea as to how that answer um, was was uh, uh, was achieved and and how one got to that point. It's not just a, hey, what's two times two. It's uh, <clears throat> it's more about. Um, uh, all the um, uh, elements that, that go into understanding uh, the answer, not just getting the answer. And AI right now is uh, is uh, just doesn't even start doing that. Sure, it might be able to give you that two time uh, two plus two is four, uh, but it has it, it has no idea as to being able to tell you how it came to that or where that came from or, or more in any discussion about it. And so um, uh, that's, that's also the part of the transparency. And then, and then that then opens the can of worms of, of where's the data and, and, and how did you obtain it and what are the other implications and, and so on. So um, actually um uh, artificial intelligence is a real misnomer. Uh, we really haven't made any progress, or more than than infinitesimal progress, in uh, artificial intelligence over the past or whatever ten years or since um, uh, uh, 2012, when the supposedly big breakthrough came. Sure, we're able to compute a, a few more things. Uh, maybe we're able to take a picture and say that's a dog. Uh, but if you really look at it, uh, I mean, uh, we have, uh, I sort of tell my students and they, they get upset with me, you know, we really have a more intelligence in these things than, than the intelligence um, of an ant uh, or whatever, you know. I mean, it just, it's marvelous how an ant can go out and whatever go get food and bring it back to the anthill and carry it and not fall and all that stuff. Oh my goodness. Really interesting uh, topic that we could go on. And, <laughs> uh, maybe on are, uh, I'm sorry. I said that. <laughs> Whatever. We have to have fun, right? We do. And speaking of that, uh, finally FedEx has announced it will begin testing small autonomous local delivery vehicles. These are kind of like uh I don't know, giant coolers, it looks like, uh, this summer that can actually go up and down stairs. Uh, They're looking to deliver pizzas, uh, deliveries from pharmacies, uh, deliveries from auto supply places uh, within like a three-mile range is what they're talking about. And they're partnering with Dean Kamen's DECA Research. Dean Kamen, uh, for those who don't recall, is is the guy behind Segway. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, it's a shopping cart. Uh, uh, you know, go, going up and downstairs is um, is really important. Uh, uh, given that we have uh, ADA um, uh, regulations uh, and have had them in place for um, for a number of years, uh, uh, the going up and downstairs is is not as important as it once was. Um, and um, 
I don't know, great, um, um, whatever. <laughs> going to be interesting to see. And I guess Amazon's been looking at this kind of thing too, and I'm sure there are going to be many more. Well, I think, yes, I, I think they, they are. And uh, the idea that, uh, that we're basically going to have uh, one sort of shopping cart uh, emanating from a, uh, from a distribution center, uh, just going to my house to drop my stuff off and then coming back or, or basically having the capacity of these things being small as opposed to larger. If it's larger, then it can, it can do a tour rather than uh, origin destination and then come come on come on back and i think um, the opportunities to do tours is is much more valuable and and tours are uh, are more prominent um, or or prominent enough um, such that uh, there is the demand for doing tours not just uh, from to Well, that is it for this edition. You can find us at smartdrivingcar.com on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and many more. Ask your smart speaker to play us too. You can find my tech reports at textonation.com. I'm Fred Fishkin along with Alan Kornhauser. Have a great weekend and thanks for listening. And thank you, Fred, and everybody have a great weekend too. Uh, Happy March.